Welcome to The Athlete and the NARP. I'm Jenna Daly, and I'm the athlete. And I'm Claire Fenton, and I'm the NARP. And if you don't know what a NARP is, then you're one too. Welcome to the fourth episode of The Athlete and the NARP. This week, we're going to be talking about league expansions and how owners and stakeholders of professional sports teams identify which markets are the best for getting a new professional sports team. What inspired this was last week, I was paying attention to F1, and I promise this is the only time in this episode that we will talk about F1. So don't worry, listeners, if you are sick of it or confused. So last week or Last time when I was thinking of this episode, Cadillac had just been approved to get to the next stage with the FIA, which is like the largest F1 organization. They want to put together an American team. They promised an American driver a seat and they want American manufacturers. So entirely a U.S.-based team, which at the moment out of the 10 teams on the grid, there's only one other team that does that. It's not traditionally an American sport. And so that got me thinking of why do leagues expand and how do they choose where they get to go and what happens when fans are unhappy about that? Because, I mean, in F1, there's been criticism about adding new American Grand Prix. And fans have been kind of upset because they're not super traditional and the F1 is largely trying to target like a new population of viewership. And so it's interesting to look at how leagues or teams and their owners uh, decide to make these moves and whether it's monetary or if it's because of viewership. And then that kind of led us to looking at more American-focused sports such as baseball and hockey, which I think are very prevalent right now, and a little bit of football too. But So this episode we'll be talking about a lot more of the expansions when it comes to those teams. Like Jenna said, we're focusing on American sports leagues today because that's what we know best and we're most familiar with, and there tend to be a good bit of shakeups and move-arounds in American sports. The F1 example is just particularly interesting for us because that is such a blatant and targeted approach to try to reach a new audience, just very pointed, little to no American presence in F1 right now from the driver's side. So it's very clearly just trying to unlock the American market. The moves that happen in American sports leagues are not always as apparent, I guess, or sometimes a team moves and it's not exactly clear why that change occurred. And like Jenna said, the fans aren't always happy about it. Aside from the professional sports leagues, just to talk about the UN's mesh national team for a second, they recently announced that they are going to be moving their headquarters to Atlanta, where they're currently in Chicago, but they're going to be moving to Atlanta fairly soon. And this was particularly interesting to me because they worked with Deloitte to build a model with over 100 data points to decide which city they were going to be picking, which seems to me to be fairly objective. And I mean, I'm a data person, so I really enjoy this type of stuff. That seems to be a very 
interesting approach to this that I'm not sure that teams always take, but they were very transparent about like, this is what we did. This is what we were hoping for. And they also gave very explicit reasons and factors that went into their model of why they wanted to pick Atlanta. Some of them being one, Atlanta's climate means you can play outdoors or just avoid some weather conditions. You can play outdoors all year round. There's also a proximity to the airport, which Atlanta's airport is the busiest airport in the U.S., one of the busiest in the world. So as far as flying teams in or making the ease of travel accessible to the players, that's a really important thing for them. The city of Atlanta itself, they they said, quote unquote, vibrant culture and broad diversity, which is just speaking to the amount of you know diversity in Atlanta and trying to reach new audiences or fans. Uh, since it is an international sport, it's important to make sure that there is an audience there and that people would be interested in U.S. soccer being in that home base. And they also mentioned some environmentally focused factors and just sustainability initiatives that Atlanta's taking that was important to them and building their headquarters. So very specific reasons backed by data. Exciting for me as a soccer fan who is in Atlanta that their headquarters will be here. Other teams, though, and not saying that, you know, these types of decisions didn't go into other teams moving, but one that's been recently really protested is the Oakland A's in the MLB. They're moving to Vegas in 2024. And Vegas is a hotspot for this because they've gotten an NFL team, an NHL team, and now an MLB team all within the span of 10 years, which is kind of crazy, probably because their population has also tripled since 1990. So it is a growing hub. It's a growing city, obviously sports betting is big there. So there's some obvious reasons why that would happen. But Oakland right now, their fans are heavily protested since this move was announced that it's happening and they're not happy at all. But I mean, the protesting isn't going to really do anything. That move is going to happen, but it's basically going to leave Oakland without any pro teams, which is unfortunate for that city. And something that's been really interesting about this move is I was just thinking about it like the fans are really angry. So it's like, okay, well, it doesn't seem like viewership or fan base is an issue at this point. So then you start questioning, like, why are they moving? The fans actually, in mid-June this year, they actually staged a reverse boycott. Basically, instead of boycotting it, they all showed up. I think it was like 27,000 people saying, we love this team. We hate the owners. They really, really wanted to keep the A's in Oakland, but they wanted the owners to sell them. And someone who wants to invest in that area. So I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> I don't know. You don't hear no, re yeah. a reverse boycott very often. Mm -hmm. No, and I, I read an article from The Athletic written by someone who is a lifelong A's fan, and he kind of made the argument that the A's moving is a purposeful ownership failure and not a failure of the fans themselves. Like, He's saying, you know, I love the A's. I've been a fan my whole life, even when they're like now when they're not very good and that it's the owner's fault for not investing in the city and in the fans themselves. And apparently, I mean, I've never visited, but apparently their stadium is kind of in shambles. And that's one of the reasons why they're moving. And there's also this debate of 
if they can build a new stadium or revamp their stadium within the next five years or so, Oakland could then be a new target for expansion, which would basically be giving them back a team. But at that point, it's kind of like, okay, you took away our team, you took away the A's, and you gave it to somebody else. Now you're giving us a new team back. So in that way, it's kind of like admitting, right, there is a fan base here. There are people who are passionate about baseball. So, so it's just kind of a complicated and interesting issue in that point. It's, I, I guess they, they just want the team out of there for now, but theoretically you could get one back under a different name, under different colors, with a different package, which is, I can understand why that would be upsetting. Well, also, if you've been a fan of the A's forever, you're not going to stop rooting for them. It's just disappointing you can no longer see them. So then if you get a new team, there's not really an incentive to be supporting that new team, especially if it's a relocated team. There's not really a draw to the people in Oakland for wanting to support that team. So that doesn't really create a successful environment for a new team. It just creates disgruntled fans, honestly, probably opposing that team. Expansion obviously is different from relocating a team. Right, yeah. Because where it's the NHL... different. It is definitely different. And where the NHL has seen a lot of success is with the expansion teams that they've added within the last five years or so. The two big ones being... In Vegas, the Golden Knights, who are the reigning Stanley Cup champions, have become incredibly successful since they were added in 2017. And their first year, they made it to the finals. They lost, but they made it to their finals in their first year. And the Seattle Kraken, who were added in 2021. And they made it in, I think, their second year. So, And uh, part of this is due to the way that they, the NHL built these rules where you can, each team in the NHL could only protect certain players. So these new teams got to like pick and choose one player from each team. They would typically take like, you know, not the top players from these teams, but still very talented, very high level players from each team. Like for example, the Golden Knights took a three-time Stanley Cup champion from the Penguins as their starting goaltender. And he kind of became the face of their franchise their first year. So you have the opportunity, the way the NHL set that up, which I think is really cool. Instead of starting off the season with a really crappy team in a new city, you get to start off with a bunch of experienced, really talented players and give the city something they can actually root for. And both of these teams, it's not as important, but it's still fun for me to watch. Their jerseys and their color concepts and their logos are incredibly cool. They're very well done. Everything is very thought through. For being such new teams, it is actually really cool seeing how many fans they immediately have. I mean, I have followed the Kraken since their draft, and it's been really cool that Seattle has really, really embraced them. The amount of season ticket holders, I'm blanking on the number, but it's up there. It's really impressive, and it's really cool. And I've seen videos of regular season games, not even playoff games, and it's packed in the stadium. Like People really show out for it, so it is cool. And it does make sense to have... Um, I know there's criticism about the draft rules and everything, but of course you're going to want to have a successful new team. No one's going to support a new team that's also losing. There's no loyalty when they're losing. It's not like you're rooting for the Mets for years. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) um, Jab. (laughs) Just a bit. Yeah, I don't know. It's been really cool to watch the Kraken because it's so recent. And then especially the Knights, I mean, that's just just a crazy story. Their pregame... I mean, whenever I watch them when they're televised, which they are televised, like kind of on national TV a good bit, they'll always take time to show their pregame 
setup and kind of the ceremony that they do before the game. I mean, it's Vegas, so everything's turned up to 100, but they have like performers on the ice and they have a celebrity usually if they're around wind up this huge siren to welcome the team in. There's smoke. There's this giant night helmet that's over the the entrance onto the ice. Just everything is so extra, so crazy, but so fun. Such a great experience for fans to be there in a climate like Nevada, where it's obviously desert. It's so hot. People don't play hockey there. You would think that maybe that sport wouldn't be able to thrive in that area because it doesn't in other areas like Arizona or even Florida to some extent where it's kind of the same climate. It's hot. People don't naturally play hockey. It's probably the fifth most popular sport there. And those teams don't thrive. But in Vegas, you were able to get this market where this team can thrive and it can win. And people are really excited about it within Vegas and then also just across the country, which is really cool and very interesting. And it's you would think it's a huge gamble to decide you're going to put a team there, but it worked out. And But sometimes it doesn't. But this case, it worked out. And that's what's exciting about being in Atlanta I think for us in terms of hockey so Atlanta has had two failed teams they had the Flames in the 70s that ended up moving to Calgary and then they had the Thrashers much more recent from 1999 until 2011 which ended up becoming Winnipeg but they they weren't super successful Uh, hockey wasn't a big thing down here as we talked about with soccer Atlanta's really this like up-and-coming booming city a lot of people are moving here the sports scene is getting a lot stronger and people are really having like support and faith in these teams I think the Braves are really like they're a testament to that I mean especially winning a World Series helps but just in the past two years of being down here I've even seen it with the Braves like people are just so much more proud of Atlanta teams and like repping their teams I've seen it on campus I've seen it off campus it's been really cool but with hockey, so Atlanta's actually about 30 minutes outside of the city planning on building this massive state-of-the-art rink, which would be a great place for a pro NHL team. In the next few years, I think that they, they were already talking in the talks about getting a team. I know like the Arizona Coyotes, there's a strong chance that they're moving, and so people are kind of speculating, oh, where's that going to be? And Atlanta wasn't at the top of that list, but they were definitely thinking about it. However, with this new rink, there's a real chance that they get a true expansion team, like a whole new team. And so I think that's really exciting being down here. Another supporting piece of evidence for bringing a new hockey team to Atlanta is that uh, Atlanta has the Atlanta Gladiators, which is an ECHL team that is probably, I think it's about 45 minutes north of the city. Like it's not... It's not really in Atlanta at all, but their viewership and their fans have actually increased significantly in the last few years. So it really is showing that Atlanta is having a growing hockey movement. I think that they could definitely pull that momentum into an NHL team and be successful in the next like 10 years or so. Looking at Atlanta is kind of a good example of maybe how particular or how well calculated these decisions have to be because Like Jenna mentioned, this rink is being built not within the city limits. It's being built in a completely different county, Forsyth County, which is in a kind of a more suburban area of the general Atlanta area. Picking that specific location, even though you're thinking, well, it's further out from the city, maybe not as many people are out there. And we'll see how it goes, obviously. But even a decision like that has to be very well calculated because a team like the Braves, which is now very, very popular in Atlanta and obviously very 
successful, like Jenna said, winning a World Series definitely helps. Before they moved to Truist Park in 2017, they struggled with attendance. And now Truist Park is massive and it gets pretty full even for just like a normal game. I went to go see them play the Pirates in September and the Pirates are not very good. It was really packed and it was a great environment and there were a lot of people there. It's something as simple as not having the stadium in the right place. And the stadium itself is kind of a little bit further away, like Mercedes-Benz Stadium where the Falcons play and State Farm Arena where the Hawks play are virtually like neighbors. They're right next to each other. And Atlanta United also plays at Mercedes-Benz as well. So those three teams are kind of right in this little little neighborhood where they're all right next to each other. All those sports. Truist Park is further away. So it just goes to show you would think, oh, maybe if they had put it there, like with the other with the other ones, you'd get the attendance. But that's not necessarily the case. They move it out kind of on its own and they're still really popular. So it's just interesting to think about the types of conversations that people have to have when deciding to where to put a sports team, because it is a massive investment, especially if you're trying to do something like starting a whole new league from the ground up. To talk a little bit more about hockey, something that I'm really excited about, and I've mentioned a few, I think two podcast episodes ago, is the PWHL. So that isn't just an expansion, it's an entirely new league, which is really cool. It's a combination, essentially, of the Professional Women's Hockey Player Association in Canada and the Professional Hockey Federation in the United States. I mean, I'm really excited about it. So there, to give a little bit of background, there are going to be six inaugural teams, Boston, Minneapolis, slash St. Paul, New York City, Toronto, Montreal, and Ottawa. This is just really exciting. Like the players get to have livable wages. And so now they actually get to be professional hockey players, which I have read a lot of quotes. A lot of them are very excited and they just they weren't sure if they would ever become a professional hockey player in their lives, despite playing on national teams and winning national championships or the Olympics and things. And so that's really exciting. Something I've thought was interesting is right now, they actually put together a 10 year plan for this. There is a true investment in this league. Like they really wanted to succeed. Something that's different about this league versus the WNBA is that The WNBA is backed by the NBA. However, the PWHL is not backed by the NHL. They've been consulting with them to figure out maybe some, what are the best business practices? Where should we go? What should, like, just just getting some advice from them. But it's their own endeavor. Actually, Billie Jean King is one of the founders of the PWHL, and she really wants to give this platform to female hockey players to be able to have a professional league. So so they have a 10-year plan, and they actually expect the first year to put the league in the red, but they're not worried about these initial losses. Their 10-year plan is supposed to be able to compensate for the initial first year. And so I think that's really cool because we talked about last time or a couple weeks ago the NBA not being successful right away but needing those initial investments. And so I think this is really cool because – This is showing direct investments right away. So this year they have 24 games starting in January or February with two playoff rounds in June. But eventually the hope is that they're going to have 32 games starting in November and going into the spring, very similar to the NHL season. 
They also have ambitions to expand to other cities, including Buffalo, Washington, D.C., Pittsburgh, where they were either former teams from the former organizations or other places that had expressed interest in one of these initial teams. So I thought that was really cool because in the articles I was reading about that, I was wondering like, oh, well, why why didn't they choose those ones? Why did they choose these six? And so they were really selective with which cities to pick because they wanted to make sure they had the right markets to ensure that the teams would be successful and that they would have the fan base and the financial backing to hit the ground running right away. So I'm very excited to watch this very first year with everything. What stands out to me the most is that 10-year business plan because I think it is so important to recognize honestly, with any sports league, but especially with something like this, that of course they're going to be in the red for the first season, maybe the first couple, who knows? I don't know exactly what they have in their plan. But it's it's amazing that they have that infrastructure and they've thought about that and they have a plan for getting themselves out of that and that they're thinking very long-term about it. It kind of parallels the, for me, the NWSL a little bit, National Women's Soccer League in the U.S., which started about 10 years ago. It was founded in 2012. The first game was in 2013. Obviously, we're in 2023. We're about 10 years in. And we talked a little bit last week, but the NWSL is doing pretty well. There have been multiple women's soccer leagues in the U.S. that have come up and folded and come up and folded and just not been able to last. Interestingly enough, the former University of Chicago men's soccer head coach, Julianne Sitch, she led U Chicago to a national championship last year and now coaches for University of Denver. She played for a team called the Chicago Red Stars when she was playing in her professional career. And that team is part of a league, the WPS, that has since folded. She came to Emory to be part of a panel and I heard her speak about the unlivable wages she had when she played professional soccer in those leagues, really hardly making any money, just doing it because she loved it. And it was what she wanted to do was play professional soccer. And like I said, so those leagues came up, they didn't do well, they folded. It took a couple tries, but now we have the NWSL, which as I said before, is thriving in cities and even outselling men's teams. So I think having the PWHL And keeping this 10-year business plan in mind, I mean, looking at how far the NWSL has come in these past 10 years, I think that's really exciting for me to kind of see. And also, I mean, you can kind of see the cities that they pick, Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa, very strategically, obviously in Canada, where there's a huge market for that there. Half the teams are in Canada. Then in the U.S., we have Boston, Minneapolis, New York City, three East Coast, upper, northern cities where their teams have been thriving and doing very well and where there's a strong hockey market. So Yeah, Minneapolis has very strong hockey. The Wild isn't too bad for the NHL, but then, I mean, Boston, you know, has been successful for the last few years, and New York has multiple teams in the area. So there's definitely an interest in the professional hockey. And it kind of brings us back to this bigger discussion of what makes a good spot for a city expansion in the U.S. and what makes a sports city a sports city? Because as I was reading through these different articles and doing research for this podcast, I was also trying to look at what 
are the best sports cities in the U.S. And by best, you know, what what is it, what even qualifies a city as best? And so Bleacher Report did a ranking in 2014, and they listed factors like the number of teams and events that are available, the team's success, the number of stadiums and the quality of the stadiums, the passion of the fans, the media availability for people that are trying to watch these games, the franchise players, the tradition history of the team. All these factors go into making a great sports team. And do these city what cities have them, what cities don't. And so one of the most recent rankings from 2020 from Forbes listed cities like Boston, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Chicago, Minneapolis, Dallas, Detroit, Denver, Miami, Los Angeles, in that order, as the top 10 best sports cities in the U.S. And I think when you're reading out those names, really doesn't come as a surprise for the most part. I mean, these are the biggest cities in Jenna Smiling because Boston's number one. Um, But the biggest cities in the U.S., a lot of these have teams in every single American sports league, even multiple teams from within a league. Los Angeles has multiple teams for almost every single league. So it's not necessarily surprising that teams would be put in these places. But it also raises the question of, are these really true sports cities in terms of passionate fans and really buying into the culture of a sports team. I think when I look at this list, for example, Los Angeles is one that sticks out to me as their fans are notoriously apathetic, shall we say, about their sports teams. I'm not, again, not every single team because some a team like the Lakers obviously has a very storied history where people are very, very into that. But even now, you know, the Lakers, a lot of it's about, oh, what celebrities are at the game, for example, or it's just like, oh, we're in Hollywood. Like, this is the team we're riding with. When the Rams were in the Super Bowl a couple years ago and the game was actually in L.A. in their brand new SoFi Stadium, there was kind of a joke running around that nobody even knew that the they had made it that far and that nobody cared that they were in the Super Bowl and nobody cared that they actually ended up winning the Super Bowl. So, you know, I, but at the same time, Los Angeles is always going to be, except for something like the PWHL where it's, you know, ho- that's kind of a specific case because hockey is a very specific sport demographically and geography wise. But for pretty much any other league, Los Angeles is always going to be at the top of the list for putting in a sports team because of the population size, the climate, the money that's there, the marketability. Like, there's just so much about it that it's like, of course, you're going to put a team in Los Angeles, even though the fan base itself might not be the most passionate. Smaller cities in the U.S., some smaller cities, or just cities that are more niche, will have like a much more passionate fan base but they might not check all those other boxes like Denver for example where you have a team like the Nuggets who just won the NBA championship their fan base is very passionate very excited about everything the team is doing and even the Broncos not doing so hot right now but they have a great fan base as well you'll have teams like that or cities like that who have really passionate niche fan bases for some teams but they don't have necessarily the weather or the population of a place like Los Angeles or New and New York, or you're you're just not guaranteed that you're going to be filling seats every game just because you put a new team there. So there's that dichotomy of trying to balance like where are we going to have passionate fans where we can really start a culture like you have in Vegas and Seattle with these new NHL teams versus where are we guaranteed that there's going to be money and investment and star power and people are just going to be there because it's. Los Angeles or New York, and there's millions and millions of people. 
For this week's Fun Friday, we are paying tribute to the opening week of the NHL by ranking our favorite top five reverse retro jerseys from the 2022-2023 season. I'm very excited about these. I have a lot of fun when they're ever released on Instagram and I get to see them. So I really liked researching the inspiration behind all of them. Do you want to do fifth to first or do you want to do? Fifth to first is spicy. I kind of like that. Let's do it. So we can do fifth to first. Okay. So my fifth one, I am going with Vegas. So they have their traditional colors going on. And so a lot of the teams for all of them, I mean, retro, you know, you usually pull in some 80s and some 90s. The Vegas don't have that. They, like, the they don't have that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, I rank them fifth and not higher because they don't have actual inspiration to draw from. But I give them serious credit for their imagination. So on the very front, it has Vegas in kind of like a diagonal strip and so the font is actually based on the Vegas Strip hotel signage which I thought was really cool and same with the numbers on the arms and then not only that they went a step further and there's actually hidden glow-in-the-dark stars in the crest of the jersey that you can see when the lights go out so I thought that would be really cool to see in person no that one's that one's really cool I I really like that jersey but my number five is actually going to be Detroit. I'm not going to lie. Like I kind of had my top four or so. And then I was looking through them and I was just kind of like, these are all just slightly different versions of the jerseys they already wear. Or all they did was slap two colors together and call it a day. And I was like, honestly, that's what Detroit did. They got this bright, vivid red jersey with black stripes going on it and Detroit big on a black bar across the chest. But for whatever reason, it just really hit for me. I really like it. Uh, I kind of, I like the simplicity. I think the red and the black is a really strong contrast. And it says that they're throwing back the Detroit wordmark to their 1920s Detroit Cougars team, which, okay, that's fine. That's cool. I'll allow it. I, I like that they diverted from the traditional jerseys that they normally wear. Red Wings jerseys are typically white with red accents, and I really, I don't like that. So I like that they went to the red and black because I think it's a much bolder look, and it's just a lot cooler. I think the black an- accents are always much cooler than the white ones. So just bonus points. I wish they would wear these every time. Bonus points because it's better than the OGs, the ones that they wear normally. It's funny that you said you like the boldness of the red and the black because that was the reason I did not like it. I really did not like the jersey because of that. (laughs) But that's actually kind of leads into my fourth one just a little bit. So my fourth one is the New Jersey Devils. And so it's actually really funny because it's a white jersey with red, navy blue, and like a gold band around it. And so... This is actually paying tribute to the Colorado Rockies, which was the team, the Devils, before they were the Devils, um, and relocated to Jersey. I just think that it's a really sleek and crisp Jersey. Just the white just is very sharp. And then I I really like the colors on like with the bands on the arms and the bands at the bottom. And I just think that it it looks really put together, but not too messy. I'm a big fan of like a third accent color, I will say. So, for example, the pirates are black and gold, but sometimes they'll have red accent because it's pirates. So, like, 
bandanas and stuff like that. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of that. I love the third accent color, which I feel like this has like the nice trio going on. So this, this almost made my list. So I'm not mad about it, but the white is, you know, what got to me. I'm just not a big fan of like a white Jersey, but so my fourth spot, I hate to say this because I don't like this team at all just from a hockey perspective, but the Capitals are my fourth pick for their Jersey. And I don't know exactly what it is about this. Cause I think on first glance, I scrolled by it, but it's basically a black Jersey. It has a rusted bronze detail with a kind of like a statue of Liberty blue band with capitals on it. So it kind of has that turquoisey blue along with the rose gold rusted look to do the stars and the accents and the shiny part on like a black Jersey. And this color scheme is just really working for me. I like that it's muted. I'm always a fan of kind of like that pink detail or like gold, silver, rose gold, like metallic stuff I really love. So I'm glad that they added this. And I also can appreciate that it's, they kind of went dark mode from their, from their current jerseys. Dark mode, oh my gosh. (laughs) And I really like it. I just think it's, it's really cool. So I, again, I hate the team itself. Don't want to give them anything if I don't have to, but I got to admit, like, I would buy this. I love this color scheme. I am not a huge fan of the eagle mm. on it, but I do love the color scheme of it. This one did catch my eye. It's not on my list, but I did enjoy the colors, and I thought it was very different than their current uh, uniform which I, I did like so yeah Point, I always points appreci- for creativity exactly I appreciate when teams go bold it's like try something you know if it doesn't work it doesn't work but I appreciate same with like I said with Met Gala looks it's like if you're <laughs> if you're gonna be at the party like try something impress us don't Very just true. don't just pull out basic stops so no black suit as Claire said no black suit yes so number three for me even though I just said bonus points points for creativity I'm going with a classic This one is the Anaheim Ducks. They just very much paid homage to the iconic Mighty Ducks and the old logo. I think it'll forever be synonymous with kind of the underdog hockey story. Even if you know nothing about hockey, can identify this and the old goalie mask. They kept it in the current Ducks colors, which is my only criticism of it. I will say, like, I wish they tied in that as one article called it, jade and eggplant colors. (laughs) So just tying in that purple and blue, I think would actually go really well with the current orange and gold. So maybe throwing in a little bit of that would have been nice, but it's a classic and I really do like it. Yeah, this one didn't make my list, but agreed. I liked the logo. I I thought it was cool. Just didn't didn't make my list. I I, I was more drawn to other things about the jerseys that that one just didn't have. So my third spot, we have what ESPN actually ranked as the best one, which is Florida, Florida Panthers. And they got a really great color scheme going for this one. Like imagine a sunny day. It's that color blue for the main part of the jersey. And they have like sun gold and red accents on it. And they've made the logo an X crossing of a palm tree and a hockey stick. I got to admit, it is really cool. It's very obviously a little cheesily maybe paying homage to Florida. Does the hockey stick look a little bit like a golf club? Yes. But at the same time, is that also is that also not poetic of Florida and the golf courses that are around there and the type of vibe you have when you're in Florida? So 
for me, it just fell into number three because I'm like, it's a little cheesy. It's a little OD, but that is that is Florida. So at the same time, can't be mad at it. Yeah, I, I didn't mind this one. I thought it made sense. It did exactly what it was supposed to do. It does look retro. I just thought it looked a little tacky. And so that it didn't make my list because of that. But my top two I'm excited about because I really think that both of them understood the idea of retro jersey. So my number two is the San Jose Sharks. The more I look at this one, the I love it. It took me, I had to go through them a few times, but I was like, nope, this is retro. So it is a white jersey with teal and gold slash yellow on it. And it just says Sharks on the very front. And that's it. It's super simple, but it actually pays homage to the California Golden Seals, which was a team created as part of the 1967 NHL expansion. It only lasted until 1976 in California with a losing record every year. And so it moved to Cleveland after that, but only lasted two years. So it no longer exists. But I think that it was an awesome idea to pay homage to them in these retro jerseys. And so basically it's the California Golden Seals jersey just with sharks on the front. And I think it's great. Yeah, this one ESPN ranked number two really wasn't on my radar, but I appreciate the story behind it, shall we say. I'm not as much in love with the design, but right, they got the idea of retro and they really ran with it. For me, I'm actually surprised because I think this is going to be the only one we overlapped on. So one that you've said previously is in my number two spot. And I actually am always surprised whenever we do these rankings, how little we overlap like we never share our answers with each other I've been surprised that we're not overlapping no and like we never share our answers with each other the only rule we made for this was that Jenna could not pick the Bruins in her top five and I cannot pick the Penguins in my top five which I was hoping you wouldn't pick the Penguins anyway because theirs wasn't really any different than their current one I don't think that they deserve the top five I possibly I feel like they have a good story but Mm -hmm. I digress no for sure But that was the only rule we put into this. So I was expecting, especially because I felt so confident about my picks that there would be overlap, but we're not, which is crazy, but makes for, you know, a more interesting ranking. So that's great. But this, I think, will be the only overlap based on the comment Jenna made earlier. But Vegas is my number two. And this is a little bit of bias just because of how much I like the team. I've talked about that earlier in the episode. I love their whole vibe, just the way that they fully embraced the Vegas of it in for a league that is not Vegas at all. And like Jenna said, they don't have like a story to go off of, but I appreciate, I think the glow in the dark stars is super dope. I don't think the lettering is super great. I mean, they didn't really change their color scheme, but kind of why would they, they just got this color scheme. There's no reason to change it. So it's a color scheme I'm already obsessed with and in love with. And so really just for looks and then the added little pizzazz that they gave to it, that's why it's my number two. I'm like, honestly, I would buy this tomorrow. I, I'm i just obsessed. I love the way it looks. And I'm obsessed with Vegas as a franchise. I think it's the coolest. They definitely embraced Vegas in this. They were like, all right, go big or go home. We're right. in Vegas. We're going big. Which, so, what else can you do? Yeah, you got to admire the commitment to the craft. Exactly. And it was really cool because they were like, well, this is what we think it would look like. If they had a jersey in the 80s. Got to use your imagination. And I thought that was really cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Drumroll, please. (laughs) So my first one that I think is like quintessential retro jersey is the LA Kings. Stop it. 
I had a feeling you were going to pick this Me one. Me too. Okay. So oh, this is great. Okay. Yes. So the reason I chose this, which I know that they've had this logo before, or sorry, this jersey before, just in different colors. They've never had it in a white base before. And so it's a white jersey with gold and purple lines in the bottom and sleeves. And then there's the like crown on the very front. And so I thought that was really cool because the crown logo actually comes from the 1980s. And then the jersey is honoring the 40th anniversary of Miracle on Manchester, which if you don't know what that is, it's the biggest comeback in NHL history when the Kings beat the Oilers 6-5 in overtime after a 5-0 deficit in 1982 during the playoffs. And so I thought that was cool. So like not only is this jersey super cool to look at, it has deep, rich history and also apparently on the crown there's little like 3d stitching on it and so just like the detailing it was just really well crafted so all around a plus i chose this one for completely not completely different reasons but my general reasoning behind it was a little bit different i really really love whenever a city has a color scheme pittsburgh is very obvious it's black and gold all the way through Atlanta, actually, I was thinking about it last night, is red and black for the most part all the way through. Braves a little different, but you got that red in there. That's their common theme. And blue. And blue. That's fair. The Hawks not really blue. Yeah. But you got the red, I feel like, is the common thread that we're going for here. Not very many cities, though, when you think about it, really have all their sports teams connected in a color scheme. And Los Angeles in particular, because the sheer quantity of teams that they have there, impossible to do. The LA Kings, their normal colors, they don't have colors. They're white and black slash Mm -hmm. silver, you know, whatever you want to call it. Completely neutral tones. So I really appreciated that, A, they went for color on this one, even though I like the black and silver white color scheme. I really appreciate they went for color on this one and also that it, When I think of L.A., you think of, for me, the Lakers and that iconic purple and gold that really not many other professional teams in the U.S., if any, have replicated. And I really like that this jersey, even though it may have been thrown back to a previous hockey thing, it kind of ties in with the general theme of Los Angeles and really, I think, gives that city what it doesn't have, which is a cohesive, passionate fan base trying to tie back to that idea of we are Los Angeles and there's like a meaning behind that which I thought was really cool and maybe they didn't mean to do that but that's what I get out of it when I look at this jersey because for me Los Angeles teams are very they're just there they exist they're in LA whatever but I like that this is kind of tying it together and it's like yeah we are LA if you are listening to this and are wondering what these jerseys look like and our descriptions are not enough to give you a crystal clear picture in your head, pop over to our Instagram, The Athlete and the NARP, where we will be posting our picks, our top five picks, so that way you can get a clear visual on what we are talking about. You'll get to see them in all their glory, and maybe you'll agree yes. with us, maybe you won't, but at least then you'll have an idea of what we're talking about. But yeah, I was, that's funny that I just talked about that and then we picked LA. Well, as soon as you said it, I was like, we're going to jinx ourselves because I had a feeling we're both going to pick it. Anytime we do these rankings, I always get nervous or we have to, nervous is a strong word, but I'm always like, oh, I hope we're not completely in sync with everyone. So we have some discussion, we can cover more ground, but that's what we got today. So it all worked out. Thank you for listening to the fourth episode of The Athlete and the NARP. 
We hope you enjoyed our discussion about league expansions and the decisions behind them, as well as our Fun Friday Top 5 rankings of the NHL Reverse Retro Jerseys. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at The Athlete and the NARP. You can contact us by email at theathleteandthenarp at gmail.com with content suggestions, clarifications, or questions. Until next time, I'm Claire Fenton. And I'm Jenna Daly. And this has been The Athlete and the NARP. NARP.